There's a new podcast app that delivers chilling true crime stories straight to your mobile device. Every day they release a new episode that investigate the gruesome true acts of America's worst serial killers. And you can explore into the minds of psychopaths and murderers. To get started, find and download Murder Minute from the App Store or visit MurderMinute.com. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-M-I-N-U-T-E.com to get your daily dose of true crime creepiness delivered straight to your mobile device. It's a good show. You know, in the right stuff, how the all the pilots, like the Air Force guys, you know, they're like, they just want to be astronauts because to them it's like, oh, I just want to break more than the sound barrier. I want to, like, fly faster and all this stuff. I think writers, like, we just... Uh, we we just want we just want to like take the longest we possibly can without getting fired. <laughs> totally, like pilots don't want to die. Yeah, but they don't mind risking death for the privilege of bragging in the at the uh, bar. Um, man, I flew that thing faster than God once. A plane flew, and I'm still here. Um, writers are like yeah. that. With uh, we we want to wallow in self loathing uh, as long as someone will allow us to without taking away our money. Yeah. You know why? Because the day you become a writer is the day, no matter what anyone else says, it's the day your mom says, uh, clean your room or I'll make you stay in it. Tell you, you won't, I won't let you go outside until you clean your room. And we're like, bank. <laughs> so, welcome to I just a universe of friends I just created in my head. I can't wait to grow up and roll around in my own shit and make a million dollars doing it and never clean the room of the planet. Prove you all wrong. Is that the title of your memoir? Yeah. Except, guess what? Memoir's not happening. <laughs> Got fired by. <laughs> Took too long. Uh, was the circle open? Yeah, sure. Let me pick a section of it anyway. Here's a here's a new theme song by. Uh, well, we'll tell you his name afterwards. White white thing wongs white white thing wongs is is white white thing wongs white white thing wongs is white white thing wongs white white thing wongs is is white white thing wongs is racist. <laughs> Little twist there. Yeah. Uh, I like the stylistic choices this person made. Mm-hmm. That was by Chub Shoopman. Hmm. <laughs> Professional name, a nom de guerre, perhaps, <laughs> but one that we can pronounce. Yeah. Chubb Schupman. It seems to me that Chubb wants the same amount of discussion about his name as was afforded Micah yeah. Rutro. He, he or she may also be uh, uh, j- just wanted to let us know we're racist. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, do you listen to people who validate you by doing a song remix here's my song remix uh you're racist (laughs) (laughs) your show's racist um we are at our penultimate episode yeah there's mixed feelings around here yep jessica's like why are why are we how do you feel about this and i said well i feel because I have empathy, I feel bad because you're sending me these sadness vibes. And then she was like, yeah, because that's what all empathic, empathic <laughs> people say is I have empathy. So and then, I said they announce it before yeah. they say anything else. And while I was reeling from that rabbit punch to my kidneys, she then went like, well, by the way, I don't want to do it anymore anyway. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but. I didn't say that. <laughs> 
Oh, boy. I said I was looking forward to taking a break. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, and I, I'm looking forward to it being a break. I don't, I, I, I truly do. I believe that we will, 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 will stop doing this for just long enough to, to realize that we love doing it. You know, yeah. I don't know. We'll, we're, we're something. Yeah. It doesn't take that much to do. It's just like when you do anything once a week, it's, it's eventually, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a little piece of bandwidth from your life. And I really want to do Rick and Morty right. Yeah. And it's also, it's a lot of mental and emotional labor too. Mm. And as I said out there, it's like we've disclaimed it enough to we don't have to use the word irresponsible in talking about what we're doing here. But I mean, this topic is important and sensitive, and to just be like dedicating three of your brain cells to it, um, you know, that's an argument. Like I said, I don't want to use the word irresponsible. You said it's cavalier. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> what we've been doing has been cavalier, and uh, sometimes that's charming, and sometimes it's. Uh, 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 I don't know. It wears on your soul, maybe. Yeah, it definitely wears on my soul. Because I'm like, I listen to each episode. It's been therapeutic for me. But what if that's not supposed to be how I get my therapy? What if I'm not supposed to wipe my ignorance uh, across America's face or the planet? Or just mine. Well, come on. You can take it. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, in the interest of uh, public service... um. Uh, returning to the subject of uh, Asian anti-blackness and tensions between the Asian and black communities, I'd like to make a public service announcement to try to ease some of that tension or at least ease some misunderstandings. Um, the word for – in Mandarin, the which is the uh, the official Chinese dialect that everyone's supposed to speak. Um, Don't Mandarin explain. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I really liked it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the word for that, like literally the word for T-H-A-T, that, is nega. That's how you say that in Mandarin. And so if you hear Chinese people speaking a lot of Chinese and then saying that in the middle of it, it might sound like they're using the N-word. Okay. But they're not. It's the word for that. And it gets extra, like, cringy if, like, somebody's, like, kind of stuttering a little bit and they're pointing, trying to point something out to you and they're saying that, that, and, that, and, that, And whatever, whatever that is is behind a black person at the grocery store? <laughs> yeah, because then they're just like, nega, 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 nega. Wow. Which is very common. Like, that's a word that causes people to kind of stutter a right. lot. Right. Well, that, that, that is yeah. something I, yeah, I stutter at. Yeah. That and the word for this is jaga. Jaga. Hmm. Um, uh, so I would no, like to just – I would like to ease some of the the misunderstanding that that word has probably brought about. What uh, what made you think of that just today though because this is obviously a centuries old. <laughs> I've been trying to – well, I, you know, it was so funny for several episodes now in the back of my mind. I was like, oh, I, I should find a, a time to say that. And I think at some point somebody had written in about it too. But um, when – I think when Andrew and Ify were on the show, uh, at one point while we were talking, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to remember to say that when I had a chance that <laughs> I forgot. And I kept forgetting. And then somebody wrote in about it, too. And it's just one of those things where – because it's never – we're never going to talk about that in particular. So I have to, like, come in and, and say it first thing or else I'm going to completely forget. Um, what's What was really a funny story about that um, – <laughs> Uh, an executive friend of mine who is black, he went to he told me that he went to China um, on a business trip and like the the local office, wherever local studio people who were picking him up, like they picked him up. They were really gracious and nice. And, you know, they they got a had a car for him. And 
while they're driving, everybody's speaking Chinese. And uh, and they kept and as he's telling me this, he was like, they kept saying a word. Mm. And he was like, and it made me pause. But I but they but there was no other word in English. Everything was Chinese. But they kept saying a particular word that I thought that can't be what it is. Um, And at that point, I because he was telling the story like this, I, I didn't make the connection of what he was talking about. So then he started asking me, he was like, what's the word for the? And I told him, and he was like, what's the word for because? Like, he was trying to think of what are words that you would right, just normally right, right. use. And uh, and then as he was asking me that, I then I finally made the connection. I was like, oh, you're thinking of the yeah. word that. And I told him, and he was like, I knew it. He was like, he was like, it was so surreal because he's sitting there and he's hearing them speak Chinese and then saying what sounded like the N-word. Oh, yeah. uh, but he's <laughs> like, they couldn't possibly have like invited me on this business trip just to start <laughs> an international incident like this and also why is or or to uh lavish in the uh 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 devious luxury of having someone not know you're talking yeah uh, racist but it's like well change the word (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) (laughs) um i do you it's, it's kind of amazing i like it's a it's an uplifting story about human human potential for uh, for coexistence, though, that he experienced that, <clears throat> came back from the trip and asked his Chinese friend, what's the word for or or because or spinach? Because I know it's in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's said this much. And the, the, totally. He the, gave them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. He, start, he started. I mean, it, it also like that's why it, it seems weird to us that we speak different languages across the planet. But it. What that speaks to is the fact that languages are easy to be different, and what's but what because humans just speak, and um and, and the language is not what matters. Yeah, uh, it's 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 disposable and it changes as we interact with each other. But his human instinct was like, well, I know that you know he's like he's it, we're, we're such contextual thinkers that that's why we learn each other's languages and that's why we can speak like three hundred of them on one planet and still not get into World War Three every day. Um, uh, whatever. Why am, I, why am I pep talking the earth? <laughs> you, you can do it, you plucky little blue marble. <laughs> but I just find that really fascinating because yeah. so, sometimes you kind of think like, oh, we're, we're so much more primitive than we think. Or or you might even think, man, maybe maybe mankind isn't meant to like be so unified if it's so like, oh, our languages are so fucking different and you can't walk nine miles without – starting to not understand someone but if you look at it a different way it's because it, it, the things that we're saying that I means rather the way that we're saying them they they they're, they're as disposable as a piece of like cardboard they're just like they're tools that we invent out of thin air and they're, they're if they weren't disposable we might be extinct by now because we'd be too reliant on an artificial construct and instead we are malleable we're changeable we're um, and we and we run into each other in the jungle, and we we two people all, all of a sudden are forming a third language, and it's uh, pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah. Speaking of cavalier, <laughs> listen to my spinoff podcast. Uh, I dropped out of college, and now I'm Noam Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the, I'm the I'm the non curmudgeon Noam Chomsky. <laughs> um. Uh, here's an email that uh, Yusan had saved for us, and we kept running out of time because you and I famously take half an hour to answer one email question. I did want to ask you one thing, though, about yes. the the, the – um, this is before your time. Okay. It was like the early days of the internet when the internet was just kind of blowing our minds with having video on it at all, and like the word viral was – 
probably not even invented yet, um, coined. Um, it, 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 um, but there was this video. It was, it was a Japanese family. I think it was the title is something innocuous like Good Morning Tokyo or something like that. And it's a Japanese family. And they're having like a petty kind of or mundane like suburban Japanese work uh, middle class family version. It's it's shot like uh, very much like in the form of a multicam sitcom, mm-hmm. well well lit multicam setup, um, production design behind it. All of the actors are Japanese and they're all speaking English, but with very thick Japanese accents. But they're they're all it's it's almost impossible to describe this without you know it it, it it but what they're doing is they're all of the family members whether it's grandma dad the daughter the little brother the wife even though they all have their various roles the um they're all using the n word constantly they're all referring to each other as the n word with a with a with a, with not a hard r. I don't think, but like, like, well, was it supposed like, to sound like a Japanese word? No, no, no. It was, it was, the, it's hard to explain yeah. comedy. I mean, I, <laughs> it, it, it's like this, but it was like, I, to me, the joke was, had, had to do with appropriation, um, the lighter side of it, one would say, since one in this case is me and not black, maybe. But, uh, I, 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 I it was, it was, it was sort of like, Meanwhile, in Japan, what's going on over there? Uh-huh. I think was sort of the punchline. Like, like, yeah. like, like, like we, we, oh, they they're reading newspapers at breakfast with orange juice, and they're having squabbles about the daughter needing the keys to the car. But she has she filled out her call. All of the same, but but for whatever absurd reason or cultural reason, there they have been so influenced by perhaps hip hop culture uh-huh. by way of american western hegemony that they they just use that word e- as much as easy e or or anything but but there so that it's a real I, I i this is where i would do one example of one line of dialogue but i truly can't do it without saying the n word right. five times so but it's 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 uh i, I was i guess the conversation can be over because i was if you had seen it i was just kind of curious what your your take on on that and uh, but you haven't seen it, so no. there's no conversation. <laughs> it was an example. It was something that, like back then, it was like we people were, we were howling with laughter. And yeah. We were sending it to our friends, and it was pretty. You know, I, I would have sent it to my black friends. I, mm-hmm. I, I without like I, I would have I wouldn't have been totally like obtuse. About, I would I would have been like. Here's your white friend sending you this thing, like like like. Because like, oh, you hope you, this doesn't offend you, like but I you, thought it was because you thought that they would think it was funny too, or because yes. you wanted to know what they thought about it. Yeah, the former. I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, pre woke day. I would have been like, no, I, I I assume you're gonna find this incredibly funny too, <laughs> or twice as funny as I do. I don't know, but that has something to do also with the fact of like like I would have assumed that as a white guy that I'd be like, well, if a black person sees this and they see these Japanese people who were kind of appooing a little bit, mm-hmm. if you really want to problematize every molecule of everything, and there's a lot there's a lot of it to be done there, like like uh. We're we're goofing on Japanese people because it's funny to hear them talk anything other than um, I don't know business talk mm-hmm. about uh, the stock market or electronics or something. It's like funny that they're saying gangsta speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're already kind of goofing on them, and then we're also like, well, it's it's innocuous because of that thing that we've talked about, where like Asian Asian is a safe race. If you want to joke about racism. Um, 
also in that case they're being used as a conduit to like actually be, be sure what by today's definitions would be easily considered racist um because you're just you're just flaunting your use of the n-word but you're sure. using asian people as a shield so who, right because if it was a, a white if this was a white family yeah. using then you're like this is just america that it wouldn't have re- yeah. it wouldn't have um, registered as funny even back in mm-hmm. 2002 or whatever this was yeah um yeah well i mean based on the description it definitely sounds like something that was made for an audience of almost exclusively white people Probably mm-hmm. definitely, I would say definitely not uh, uh, Japanese people because they would be like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, probably, probably nobody made it for black people. Although <laughs> I would, I wouldn't shock, I wouldn't shock me at all if you. It's like, oh no, let's bring out the director, and it was a, it was a funny black comedian who got a cast of. I would, it would I wouldn't shock. I'd be like, oh, of course, he knew exactly how funny that would be. <laughs> um, but what? Yeah, I mean yeah. it. Uh, whatever. All right. Well, maybe I'll I'll watch it during the yeah. Break. To give it a Google check, I'm curious if it's still like I'm kind of curious if I watch it again. Am I yeah. going to be like they still got it? <laughs> <laughs> it's 15 years now. Nothing nothing like goes past eight. I mean, nowadays I think the definition of how how long comedy can age is probably like three weeks. How do you? I mean, have you had uh, times where uh, someone? There was something that you loved and then, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, somebody close to you tells you, like, how damaging it was for them and it's changed your relationship with whatever that thing is or it changes the way you see it and changes the way you look at it. I'm trying to think of – and you don't mean someone saying how damaging it was that I liked it, but somebody, no, 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 somebody, no, somebody just, telling yeah, me. Yeah, that they had such a different experience yeah, than Yeah, I, I bet, there's, I bet yeah. there's a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's probably like the person brings it up, and before I have a chance to go, I love that show. Then yeah. they continue with um, what a bummer it was, yeah. and then I just like think to myself, "Oh yeah, interesting." Like I, <laughs> well, because here's I, I think that you can, you know, it's it's complex. You can like something and feel nostalgia for it, but also acknowledge that in today, like looking at it from a modern lens and from. A, hopefully more mature standpoint you're like i can see how that was problematic and damaging to people but it doesn't change the fact that it brought you joy in your youth or in the past you know like it doesn't like you can you can have both of those feelings about something like molly ringwald wrote this great piece about watching um breakfast club with her daughter and realizing and becoming really uh conflicted because she's like oh bender basically sexually harasses her character you know and it made her and then when she was she became really aware with aware of it in a visceral way when she's sit, has her daughter sitting next to her and the daughter's watching this guy like climb under a desk and stick his head between her legs you know mm-hmm. um and and she's like you know she has such loving and fond memories of John Hughes and working on those movies and but she at the same time she can look at these movies and be like that's problematic like that yeah and shouldn't it, yeah i mean our goal should be to like live in that world where we can it it can be as simple as saying that is now problematic it wasn't back then or they wouldn't have done it um but it's it's tough because you can't it's like we there's there's two ends of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is very easy for 23 year olds. You just got here. You still have eggshell on your beak. Um, you have no ownership in anything. Um, um, what's the most fun thing in the world to do after your first poli sci class? It's like, holy shit, I was there, too. Like, it's like 
fuck, fuck these old people's world. Like, fuck the things that were funny 60 years ago. Fuck the things that you thought were funny three years ago. I'm here. My name is Jan Michael Richardson. I'm a 23-year-old fucking uh, 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 beatnik poet. Um, you, you, like, there's... It, it, the other end of the spectrum is then the person that's going to fight, bother to fight you, Jan Michael Richardson, <laughs> who is like old, old hillbilly McGee fucking road comic who's like, um, this is bullshit. What's next? What are you going to question next? And can you both be wrong? Because if this too shall pass comedically, then what that means is that while we're talking about all this shit, we are engaging in haircuts and speech and philosophies that, believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, that even our conversations and even our comedy about how everything is problematic, it's going to be problematic 10 years from now. It's it's almost guaranteed there's going to be something that we're going to be able to look back on and say, well, we we stopped saying that that way yeah. uh, 10 years later. And that – so it's like, it's tough. I mean it's not like – this is one of those things where I'm like, why can't everyone just see how easy it is? It's like – why can't everyone see how how difficult and how um, how much that should be the goal is <laughs> is to strike that really delicate balance where we're like, I forgive us for Mickey Rourke and Breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't. You mean Rooney? It, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, Mickey Rourke. <laughs> I did that twice <laughs> in this podcast. I think. Um, I, for, I, for, I forgive us for that. It's tough because you can't just be like, well, everything that we do to because then that slips into everything that we're currently doing. Who cares? Mm-hmm. I don't have to think about it because they'll just find it offensive 10 years from now no matter what I do. That's dangerous cynicism. Yeah. Um, so I, I – it, but it's like – it's kind of – you got to admit it's as crazy to uh, to bother to defend some of this stuff that was funny in the 90s and then, oh, now I'm not allowed to say it. It's just as crazy to die on that hill as it is to charge up – the hill of a Sinbad special, like with your sword flailing in the air, like, 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 and wanting to call him out. And I'm making this up. I don't think Sinbad's <laughs> ever been problematized. But, but, but to like be like, you need to fucking hold yourself account for what you said in 1992 in that stand up special. You were saying women are slaves, all these jokes about marriage. I mean, we we all agree these are these are both wastes of time to some degree. Uh, sort sort of like I think it, we should clarify then what you, what you're talking about when you're talking about this person making this argument that something is something in the past is problematic because I think you can say yeah this thing in the past is problematic but it is a relic now it I is think, something yeah, that it's... exists in the past we're not going to make any more and that's the difference when with the arguments about a poo and the Simpsons is that they're continuing to make mm-hmm. this show the show still exist they're still making new episodes al jean still has a fucking job you know matt greening gets to like sound like an asshole in an interview openly like dismissing people and they get to keep working keep making the show and they can have a poo tomorrow on the show if they wanted to you're gonna be That's... extra mad about this I, you, you obviously haven't heard they actually promoted al jean um to what uh he's now um <laughs> They made up a new title. They made up a new title that's above showrunner. Yeah, because they, they, <laughs> just they, for that, the system just wanted to let like, people of color know he's, that he's admiral showrunner. <laughs> <laughs> they made up a new. 
<laughs> they're pretending it has yeah. nothing and it's not related, but they're like, we just decided it's time for an admiral <laughs> showrunner. Um, but no, you're absolutely you know what I right. Mean? Thank you there's for a, saving me. Yes, there's a big difference between saying like, hey, this thing in the past, like it was problematic, but it's going to stay in the past. But, but you know, it, it, don't make it anymore. It's like that's like, the difference. You, you, we, we students right now mm-hmm. should be yeah, we should be learning from history. So you you problematize the colonial era. You go, uh, uh, this is the this is the actual legacy of our, our, our uh, the 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 the, uh, the fucking uh, the the ancestry of our of some of the things are carrying over to today. So let's never let ourselves off the hook. You're absolutely right about that. It's I guess I guess I guess I'm just asking something that is impossible and also is like a control freaky thing to ask of a world of strangers which is like well if what you're doing is academic and for research purposes and is is what you quote unquote enjoy doing then couldn't you smile a little while you're doing it you're so upset about this I Love Lucy episode. No one's upset. Oh, I'm straw dogging. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I I think I'm talking to myself too though because it's like I'll 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 you know it's it's like I I just think for it's forgiveness and empathy. Like empathy and the subsets are forgiveness and understanding. Like like we. Nobody wants to hear let people off the hook and nobody that's on the hook wants to hear listen to these people. And 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 so we're all just like going to keep, keep having problems. But um, until we. <laughs> Beautiful. See, my goal for this episode is to make people realize by the last episode that they also are happy that we're taking a break. <laughs> Uh, shall we do this email? One more thing I want to... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Hey, Jessica and Dan. I'm Divya, uh, an Indian-American millennial woman. Growing up in Idaho and now living in Utah, both places of which have little to no diversity, I really enjoy your honest take on race and diversity in the world, and more specifically, television. I'm an aspiring television writer in the midst of my first staffing season. My question, I have heard differing opinions on what it's like to be a diversity hire on a TV show. Well, at the end of the day, I think everyone's goal is to get in the room by whatever means possible. For someone who is hired as a diversity hire, it could actually hinder a writer's ultimate goals. By that, I mean, once you're hired as, quote, the diversity hire, is everyone else in the room aware of that? If you're the only person of of color in the room, then, yeah, the rest of the room might just assume you are, even though you maybe aren't. If you are hired as a diversity hire, is the writer made aware of it? Is their compensation less or more than other staff writers? Also, I know the – or do you want to answer that right now before I keep reading? Yeah, I could give you some fast no's, Mm -hmm. Divya, to ease your concern. I do think people who say get into the room by any means necessary are the correct people because Mm-hmm. From my experience, um, uh, there is no uh, like maybe I haven't experienced like the worst like boys club like Yaley room in the world, but yeah. I it was pretty. We were, but you've also never been a lower level writer. Uh, no, but I yeah. but I was I was worse. I was an upper level writer, and I know that there was never any conversation. You know what I mean? Like we didn't close the door and go. Oh well. Oh, oh, right. You you didn't go like oh well. Th- we're gonna tell everyone not to hire that person again because they clearly weren't ready. You, is that what you mean? We don't even we don't even ever refer to them as a diversity hire mm-hmm. after the staffing is done. Even behind closed doors, there's no, there was no. It's I even got confused once. Like I I I actually thought <laughs> because. I I I've I've been confused about it. That's how little we end up talking about it right. because the war starts and every soldier has a bayonet and every soldier is just then from then on yeah. judged by 
the 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 sharpness of their blade. I love these phallic um, testosterone riddled metaphors I use when I'm trying to be inclusive mm-hmm. for everybody. But uh, the, the but the yeah uh, th- that that I can ease your pain about like or your anxiety about. No, there I, I it under, you'd understand why like logically you would look at that and I always did too. I'd be like, oh, this diversity hire stuff like. It seems to me, running my simulations of it, that this could be the worst thing you could ever do to a writer is, like, uh, brand them even in their own head as getting a this kind of paycheck or whatever. It, it, it's – if there's – I'm sure that there's effects there <laughs> when you get to measure it psychologically and stuff. Absolutely pales in comparison to the effects of, of first of all, being a person of color. You're going to stick out. In a in a in a writer's room uh, un, until we get to that day, where that's not the case. Um, so that the that's like so. There's gonna be the, 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 the disparity there because of what you were born, and it's the the idea that it, there's a program at the network that the, where the people get their money. It it does not affect the culture, from my experience, of the writers the fraternity the sorority the 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 hierarchy it doesn't it doesn't make people roll their eyes when you pitch a joke at all in your rooms it doesn't but it definitely happens um let's let's real quick just define what a diversity hire is uh for people who don't know a diversity hire is a lot of networks have these initiatives where they're because all of their rooms are so lily white they want to they want to encourage showrunners to or require them to hire at least one person. And the incentive they give them is, hey, hiring this person doesn't have to come out of your show's budget. Like, we at the network will pay this person's salary from the network uh, with with network money. Um, and so you essentially get, quote unquote, a free writer in your room because their paycheck is coming from another budget. Um, but that person is getting paid the same uh, salary as any other writer at their level. Um, it's a very admirable, proactive, strategic way of trying to pop the balloon, pop the membrane on the age-old kind of centrist, white, anti-proactive argument, which is um, meritocracy. Mm-hmm. In other words, how can you ask me to hire a Chinese woman right now when I'm I'm dying here and it's hard to find good writers? How dare you ever – um, don't how do, dare you try to tell me there's a Chinese woman who can write well? <laughs> yeah, how, how dare you tell me to to look for her mm-hmm. when um, I, it's going to be hard enough to find eight guys from Yale um, and and hope I get six uh, uh, good ones and blah blah blah. Like, don't you want the show to be good? You're going to cancel me if the show's bad. How fucking dare you ever give me yeah. a quota? But do you see how th- that already proves that there's no such thing as a meritocracy? Because if you come into it with that attitude of that's how you think – that's your mindset of what you think um, a diversity writer is like. Like they're, the chips are already really way stacked against them because if you're coming into the process thinking, oh, it's going to be so hard to find a good one. Um, well, I, I wish I could just hire these white guys. First of all, I'm talking guys. about what the argument was that is being thwarted by a, a, a network's diversity program. That's – that's what the network's response to that kind of trench is. I'm saying like white showrunners, there was a momentum there of the white showrunner response to anyone saying to them from above, um, 
because you can ignore everyone below. Mm-hmm. Anyone saying from above going like, hey, it'd be nice if you had some chicks in the room. Oh, it'd be nice to see a little bit of uh, this or that. The, the white male showrunner had a 20-year like momentum of being able to respond to that with total creative indignance in their own head because they're going, how dare you conflate? How dare you bring your Barbie show, your your desire for the pageant that is how your uh, staff of people look like? Like, I don't... That that's that's that, that white showrunner. I want to make it clear, as if my job is to defend this fictional showrunner's like <laughs> racist argument. Like that person who I have been not when I was a showrunner, but mm-hmm. when I was like twenty five, I've confessed mm-hmm. to that. Like having those feelings when I was unemployed. Um, like how dare we like um, mix these things, mm-hmm. these thoughts? When the the name of the day should be whether you're a good Jedi or not. Um, the that that white showrunner, that 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 hypothetical white showrunner's stance is not necessarily in their own head. They're not saying, "Do you have any idea how bad Chinese women writers are?" That person's stance is, "Do you have any idea how much longer?" It's going to take and how much higher the chance of a bad writer increases if you take other things that could be constants and turn them into cause effect variables. But that's what I'm saying is that if that is the attitude and that is the mindset, if that is the mindset when you hear diversity higher, it already obliterates any uh, thought that you could possibly have a meritocracy yes, because it's not a level. But that's why that's what that's yeah. why we have proactive programs mm-hmm. because someone and something has to has to be the bad guy basically mm-hmm. because that argument would continue. So the what I'm doing is praising networks mm-hmm. for having diversity programs because because guys like me um, can can have this like. Like clubhouse setup where we go, um, well, I'm going to creatively high road you and have this mentality. So the network calls that bluff with a diversity program and says, oh, well, tough for you because you could have a free writer if you look for the Chinese woman. You could have a free we, – we'll pay for it. So don't tell me you're wasting your writer's budget um, on, a, on a talent search across the globe and blah, blah, blah. And the idea, I think, t- to me of all – proactive um, programs uh, uh, is is that if we could break this syndrome at any point in the chain, there will stop being a problem 20 years from now because people will at first someone someone somewhere is going to going to roll their eyes and be forced to do something or or diminish the logic of something. And then what's going to happen is. You know, the elephant in the room in this conversation being Donald Glover was a diversity hire for Tina Fey on 30 Rock. Free writer. That I, I think we can I don't know, I don't want to speak for 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 Tina Fey because sometimes the diversity hire might be for whatever reason you know, it, it's it's quite possible that that Donald was going to get that job anyway, maybe, and that and that oh, the extra having the free. But theoretically, let's let's really look at that and go. Uh, it kind of suggests that he wouldn't have gotten that job. Well, because I think she said that w- that absolutely made her hire him mm-hmm. is is knowing that. And now he's everyone's boss. Okay, but a lot of other people have pointed out pointed this out too because I I'm very vocal about how flawed I feel like these diversity hires are. And that is one, like, s- example of somebody who just 
is a is a comet, you know. This guy, he he's like incredible. He's a genius. He's he can do everything. This is one example of one person who got hired as a diversity hire and then skyrocketed because he's a genius, you right. know. Um, but systemically, how diversity hires work, they don't they don't change. It's not a big enough change. It doesn't change the system. It's addressing a symptom in the smallest way. And uh, very often it creates a very shitty environment for the diversity hire person. It's not fun being the diversity hire. It's not fun being the only person in the room. Well, if you want to shit on it, I'll, I'll, I'll help yeah. you. Here, here, I'll, I'll do better than that. I'm not sure. Sh- here's no, the thing. Like, I don't want to completely shit on it because here's because – I'll completely dismantle it in one no. anecdote. I have, I, have, I, have been on, I have been staffing and uh, – the, the the, the network and studio, um, the same people who come up with these programs, the uh, studio will be the first company to tell you when they're trying to give you a million dollars to staff up and you start saying, if you wanted to already hire uh, a person who happened to be Cuban uh, or half Cuban or whatever, um, very quickly conversations among bean counters start where they go, well, isn't Tasha technically diversity? Uh oh, I don't know. I hadn't had that thought in my head. Well, if we make her the diversity hire, then you could also have uh uh so and so and such and such and so and so and such and such. By the way, isn't another diversity hire? You see what I'm saying? Like, like okay, like, yes. Like, look, I look, can look, sit look. here in this junkyard and no, take a baseball I'm bat not, to this to, to this. Look, thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't have these things. I'm saying like saying they're not, not enough. The, it's not enough. It's not the solution to everything. We shouldn't just just point to that and sit back and go. No, uh, no the one's doing been... that. No one's doing that. Which I could which could say just for one thing. It can't be, be say. Isn't it nice that these networks Works bothered to do that, you know. Like they, they maybe they did it to save face. The right things for the wrong reasons. It's definitely not enough. Clearly not enough. It's definitely abused. But yeah, it's like it's. I'm it's not going to sit here. Enough to say. I'm not going to sit a, here and cheer for crumbs. Is what I'm saying. Oh, cheering for crumbs. You know, cheering for crumbs. Well, no, that's good. Don't cheer for crumbs. Yeah, it's not fucking enough. I don't think it's worthy of of networks patting themselves on the back. I do think it's to save face. I think there are people at networks uh, who do want to make a difference, but it's just not enough. And it's not addressing the root causes of these things. And it's this can these things can run for 50 years before you really see any real change. And that's just I don't have 50 years to wait. Well, you don't have any time to wait. You <laughs> weren't a diversity hire and you don't need to be. You're on top of the fucking world. Um, the, but the uh, it, it, it the reason I wanted to praise it is because even on that microcosmic level, it represents – it's like the equivalent of putting an aluminum can in the blue bin – it, on, the, on a corporation's part, the corporation is, instead of using the lazy excuse of, well, we try to talk to these showrunners, but at the end of the day, if David Milch doesn't want to hire a black person, I don't know. But it's nice. It, it, it's a good start, and it's a good philosophy that if everyone applied it, if we all challenged each other, if we were all like, hey, I'll pay for it. Um, I, I, I hear that you're that, that it's logic that's keeping you from putting a little bit of extra effort into no, this thing. I so think, I'd like to double uh, the money or or match these funds and all that kind of things and like call each other's bluffs up and down the chain to create a, a, yeah. a larger, faster. The bluff that I'm calling on networks is, OK, you guys, you know, feel very proud of yourselves that you have you, you do these diversity hire programs. But if you really, really cared about di- uh, cared about diversity, 
you would be greenlighting shows from diverse showrunners. You would be you would have you wouldn't have the same on especially on a broadcast network level. You wouldn't have the same fucking shows about the same white. And imagine families. if Rupert Murdoch like looked down or Les Moonves or whoever these these guys named after warlocks uh, are. <laughs> Imagine if imagine if they did what the corporations they own do, which is they go they see on uh, the news that they say, oh, CBS said um, in response to the accusation that they picked up nine shows by white showrunners and they they heard pitches by eleven uh, uh, Asian showrunners and they didn't they didn't blah 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 like. Imagine a world where you continued that logic that we're seeing up the chain or Rupert Murdoch <laughs> mixing – I'm mixing my oligarchs. But he picks up the phone and he says, hey, CBS, uh, I heard you bluffing that the reason why you can't uh, entertain uh, a, another fresh off the boat or whatever the fuck uh, is because the stakes are too high when you're competing with ABC and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm giving you a free show. <laughs> like, like if we all kept doing that, way all the way up and all the way down the chain, if we uh, and and had a different like, because we keep using money as an excuse, we keep using the buses got to run on time. Are mm-hmm. you are you telling me that if I run my banana stand in an inclusive way and make sh- and make sure that no one ever gets harassed around my banana stand, that I'm going to stay competitive with fucking Dole across the street? They're going to fucking bury me with their willingness to overlook uh, any, anyone's needs and blah, blah, blah. And then you, it's like that's – capitalism is not an environment that's going to make this shit happen unless you combine it with this like bravado like of people going like, oh, I heard you and I want to prove I'm not racist with this million-dollar bet that you can't be not racist. I, I that, that's That's my – that's why I like the, that diversity. I know, program. and the and the the dollar thing, like letting the dollar speak, is I hate that argument because black people have money, Latin Latinx people have money, Asian people have money, and it's been proven over and over the power of the of the of the non-white dollar. But people never. You're using logic to argue yeah. with the inarguable fact that people are lazy. Like it doesn't matter people, that they and, should do it. And, and they're and not just lazy. No, they're scared. That's the thing is that yeah. nobody wants to. Ever, they're cowards. They're fucking cowards. It's or they or people don't like changing unless they have to. Like like period. And people don't like risk unless they have to. It, tell a tell a showrunner who's like like you, you know how old and fucking rich you'd have to be and how many shows you'd have to have before you were like, well, for this one, boys, we're gonna we're gonna. Fuck around a little bit with the way I always do it when that person has a million stories about getting canceled for no reason and blah, 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 and they're their own underdog. The answer is you have to be so old and so rich that you become racist. <laughs> you just you can't count on that person anymore either. So, like, it's it, – it yeah, you're you – keep, you keep thinking that everyone – checks their fucking logic before they make these decisions they check their laziness they don't check anything yeah and i, I what i'm saying is i i understand that and i don't like it and i'm not okay with it and i'm and so that's why some these crumbs like diversity hire initiatives these are crumbs to me that don't make a di- that don't make a big enough difference and i i, I just i'm not satisfied with just that i yeah. guess is what i'm saying i'm well, not satisfied well, Davinia, is that her name? Am I getting it right? Uh, Divya. Divya. Um, okay, so... I kind of upgraded her. <laughs> Made her divine. <laughs> um, okay, so we gotta. We can't finish this email right now. We got to take a break because right after the break, we have a very special guest that I'm super excited oh, about. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, we're on a break. 
Hey, Jessica, what's wrong with your teeth? Oof, where do I begin? Um, well, I think you might be brushing them wrong if you're like most of us. Is that true? Yes, most of us brush our teeth long. We don't we don't brush them for long enough. Uh, we forget to change uh, the brushing uh, that we do on time. It's because uh, you know the brands are focused on selling their flashy toothpastes or their double headed toothbrushes. They just as soon as you're done with your purchase at the store, they got their money. They don't care if you brush your teeth right. Interquip, the company that wants your teeth clean. And now. Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. The Quip is a, basically it's an electric toothbrush that you get in the mail that you subscribe to. Here's the great thing about it. You stop having to worry about it. They provide it to you on the schedule. They send you a new a head for your toothbrush when that's going to wear out based on your two minutes of brushing a day. They send you a new battery. They send, they send you all the shit you need. It's like you're subscribing to knowing how to take care of your teeth better. Yeah. So every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide, they'll send you uh, what you need. Um, and it also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel whenever wherever you take your teeth. I've got Cuz I know you're very choosy about where you take your teeth. <laughs> they sent me one of these things and I I did not believe in the suction uh, holder on the mirror, but it stays on there forever until you peel it off and take it with you on a trip and stick it to your hotel mirror and it's kind of cool. Um, they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day. I know it sounds less uh, genuine when I start to read in that voice. <laughs> well, everyone loves Quip. They were on Oprah's <laughs> O-List and named one of Time's best inventions and is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash wongs right now, You'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. Easy. Yes, that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash wongs. Wongs is spelled W-O-N-G-S. And getquip is spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash wongs. Getting Quip is easy when you white wongs. And we're back, and I am so excited. Yeah. We have a guest, uh, <laughs> not in studio, but uh, over the fo- or over Skype with us. Uh, we have Professor Sora Kim, uh, who is a professor at UC Merced, and she is an expert on sharks. Yeah. Okay. And she's an Asian-American woman, so she's basically your worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so well, welcome. I'd like to introduce you <laughs> to Kevin... McDougal, a Scottish hillbilly who grew up raised by dolphins. Come on out, Kevin. I tried to think of the whitest name I could. All right. Um, welcome, Professor Kim. Welcome. Thank Thanks for coming on. We've never had an academic on our show. Yeah. And that definitely includes us. This is very exciting. So will you tell us a little bit about your work? Sure. Uh, I am sort of a hybrid between a um, paleontologist, an ecologist, and a geochemist. Uh, So a lot of different disciplines. Uh, I usually think about things in relation to uh, past climate change over periods of time and space. Um, What this really means is that I like fall in between the cracks of a lot of departments and I'm... um, 
and people usually don't know what to make of my research. Mm-hmm. Um, as, I, as a longtime Art Bell listener, I, I, I don't know if you know who that is, but to me it means you're a runaway time traveler in disguise. <laughs> that you're like deep cover. Yeah, that sounds good. I like um, that. Uh, yeah, That's I mean, the kind of job that time travelers have. Like you come back here and you examine like ocean temperatures and really, you know, you're, you're like part of some agenda and you, you treat us like we're textbook photos and you're not supposed to fall in love. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, but I do a lot of work with sharks. Uh, for my PhD at UC Santa Cruz, I kept sharks in captivity for almost four years. Good for um, you. They should be contained. Oh, boy. Now, this is where we, we, for, for Sarah. But they came right next to dolphins, actually. So, uh, um, well, that's that's traumatizing for the dolphins. Look, I'm not going to be goaded into. Actually, I, I do. We do need to. We do need to say to the people who might be listening to this episode for the first time, which includes Sora, um, uh, we have a long running, like, distracting argument on this podcast between uh, Jessica and I that we. We're either forcing to have something to do with race, uh, or or maybe it deep down does because I, I, I have just always felt like. Uh, that that uh, sharks are are fine to hate, um, because they're like inexplicably they're, because they're not mammals. Well, I have the explic. I don't. I don't but know if it's mammal centric. Exactly. So well, because because you got to root for something, and that's where the whole that's where that's where Jessica, who's I, I don't know if you can see her in this lighting, but she's a Chinese woman. Um, she, she equates that with like, she's like, she hints at the idea that I feel that way because I'm a white man that I'm like, oh, it's okay to hate sharks as long as you love mammals. Uh, it's like tribalism and reflected, projected onto. Yeah, well, no, I just think it's irrational to like something on the basis that because you're a mammal and they're a mammal, therefore you should like them over a, a non-mammal. But, but, but between dolphins and sharks don't, now you tell me, shark expert, I would like to just call you a generally smart person i don't think i should you should be pigeonholed <laughs> um don't you think dolphins are better than sharks can't oh, we at boy. least say that they're our cousins Heck no there are so many more species of sharks out there and sharks do so many cool unique things that mammals don't and can't do <laughs> i mean all right <laughs> you're, like, so, so, i mean you're you're one of these people fossils, the earliest shark fossils were found from over 400 million years ago. Yeah, I, I know they're old. You know what else is old? Even touch that. The vacuum of space. Let's be huge fans of that. Let's hire that as a nanny. I, I like, like, oh, you know, moon rocks are have been around since before Earth. Let's let's blow up the planet. I just say you could pick a team. Yeah, but that's you, closer you, to home. You've singled out sharks. But you, you don't no. hate all the other creatures of the ocean. No, I agree with her. I know that that. Crocodiles, alligators, sharks—these are examples of giant mouths in the that have survived this long, even though they're they're ancient, because they're they've gotten murder down to a science. I mean, they're kind of a metaphor for to me for fascism. Yeah, well, dolphins rape. Well, you, you know, you're such a dolphin apologist. I don't want to. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you can't. Well, if sh- if sharks well, don't rape. What's the that? other Sorry. great thing about sharks is though that they like produce so many teeth. Like the fossil, they are the greatest number of fossils that have been found, and it's because a single individual shark can go through something like ten to fifteen thousand teeth in its lifetime. Yeah, I oh wonder why God. is that? Why is that? Uh, why do they go through so many teeth? 
it's just how they evolved to do the whole eating thing. Um, what do they what do they eat again? Flesh. They they they're they're going <laughs> they through dolphins. dolphins eat they 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 slurp uh they delicately slurp delicately slurp a a, a lesser fish into their mouth. Oh boy. They're a mammal in the ocean. Look at the, now you're getting into like fish eugenics. But there's even sharks that they don't even, like, chew their food or tear off, like, meat or anything. What they do is that they have these, I mean, they have multiple rows of teeth in their jaws can sort of, like, protrude. And then they just basically are just trying to shove food into their stomachs. And then their stomachs do all the work. And another cool thing about sharks is that they have super efficient stomachs. They have spiral valves that can increase the surface area, and like sharks barely poop. They like poop <laughs> like stringy thing because they're so freaking efficient. Yeah, they just they're just. And then on top of that, they even retain all the urea instead of extracting like or having nitrogenous waste and having huge poos like animals mammals do. They oh, actually digest so much of their food, and then they retain their urea to osmoregulate. So basically, dolphins are full of shit, and they keep spreading that shit everywhere. So they're virtue signaling. You're both all right, <laughs> is what you're saying. You guys are. How you know, dare you? Because because a mammal is like wasting time trying to seem warm and fuzzy, and it costs all this dishonesty and inefficiency. And what you should really do is just like just just be an eating machine because life is hard, man. And like you should be worshipped in accordance with like how good you are at killing. What what uh, prompted you to study sharks? <laughs> uh, so I'm actually a geologist by training. Uh, so um, I just really liked being outdoors, and um, and then for it, within like the geology major, I got into this method called stable isotope analysis. So. If I don't want to talk to people and they ask me what I do, I tell them that I'm a stable isotope analysis. <laughs> well, I, you just got me talking to you for an hour, though. I want to know about that. What uh, is that? Nobody would talk to me then. Um, it's the greatest way to end a conversation, basically. I'm, uh, I'm calling that bluff. I want to know what it is. Yeah. So stable isotope geochemists, we look at uh, differences in isotopes. So the same element, but just slightly different weight because of the number of neutrons that are in the... That's um, what an isotope is, Jessica. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. And so, but these small differences in weight mean that they behave differently in physical, chemical, and biological processes. Uh, So they're basically natural tracers for different types of, um, I don't know, processes and mechanisms. Does that make it a higher resolution of dating geologically than carbon? Uh, Isn't carbon dating like the... When I was in high school, that was the The standard. Carbon dating. I don't know how people carbon date, but... So carbon dating is with C14, and that's um, a radioactive um, isotope. But these are stable isotopes, so they are not the product of any sort of radioactivity. These are just sort of um, small differences in the uh, types of carbon that you have. There's mostly carbon-12, but a few carbon-13, just naturally occurring, no radioactivity. And then same for nitrogen. We usually have nitrogen-14, but there's a few nitrogen-15 in the um, in the environment. Uh, there's oxygen-16 versus oxygen-18. Uh, and so there's just uh, these small differences in weight are actually what 
are causing the differences of how they the molecules behave. And those so, things are a result of a gradual amount of decay that you know about. So then you can look at a rock or a or or a section of ocean or whatever you're you're dating, and you can go. Well, there's there's, there's no radioactivity at all. Well, but but oh, well, well then how come how how are you using a nitrogen? The difference between a nitrogen twelve and a nitrogen thirteen to measure how old something is, if it's not yeah, you based don't on actually look at how old anything is. Oh, where did uh, I get that? I guess I'm just drunk. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's because of preconceived notion of C14 dating, probably. Dude, every, everything makes uh, me racist. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. There are these small differences in weight, and I rely on other techniques to date my fossils or material in general. Uh, and these small differences in weight are—I'm mostly looking at ecological or environmental processes. So I can look at uh, differences in oxygen isotope composition, and that tells me sort of something about the hydrological cycle usually or uh, how okay. uh, saline or how fresh a water is. Um, for carbon, uh, nitrogen in organic stuff uh, is usually uh, from proteins, but they don't stick around very long in the fossil record, so most of that work is mo doing modern shark work. Um so, so you're kind of like you, an earth phrenologist. Like you become such an expert at like what uh, what makes the the like like what happened in the earth's history that you. It's not because of decay of an element. It's because it's because you're going well. There's more nitrogen thirteen in an area that has been subjected to the following things, and that only happened in the Triassic or something. That's how you're. Usually nitrogen doesn't stick around that long, but yes, I am looking at- At least at I understand what I don't right. understand. Right, conceptually, like, that's, that, but don't it's think- It's like more Sherlock Holmesy than it yeah. is, like, uh, 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 like, uh, like, crass kind of like- Like counting rings in a yeah. tree. Um, but don't think for a second I didn't notice that you stopped her just as she started getting into sharks again. Nah. -uh. Yeah. -uh. No, look, I've been very gracious. Like, so like for tree rings, for example, you can look at tree rings and count the rings and get something like age, but you can actually measure either carbon isotopes or nitrogen isotopes or oxygen isotopes and get at sort of um, aspects of the ecology. Uh, and then similarly to tree rings, shark vertebrae also grow in concentric rings and like a tree. And I have had a project where I analyzed a white shark vertebrae and the individual bands within them. And so what would you, what do you think that white sharks eat? Um, innocence. <laughs> Don't they just thrive? No. Yeah, what what like, do I think? What do I think? Great, great white sharks. What do I think they eat? I feel yeah. like they eat like uh, seals. Yeah. Like seals and sea lions and stuff. Yeah. Penguins. Penguins? No, that's killer whales eat penguins. That would be impressive. Uh, so yeah, most people think that white sharks eat a lot of um, Australians, cute, furry um, mammals, mm -hmm. um, uh, marine mammals. But with this study, I sort of expected to find that. I thought that when they were younger, so in the growth rings that represented when they were younger, that they would be eating sort of like fish and squid and low trophic level things. Then when they got older, that they would be eating seals and sea lions. And the way that nitrogen works is basically you eat something, and most of the nitrogen in your body comes from the protein that you eat. And so when you eat something, then your body actually 
create some sort of waste that has a lot of nitrogen in it. That waste is usually has more nitrogen 14 in it, and the nitrogen 15 gets assimilated into your body. So it's kind of a biomagnification, like you would think with mercury. Uh, and so as you go up the food chain, you get more and more nitrogen 15 that accumulates. Okay. Uh, and so with sharks, I expect to see sort of like lower levels of nitrogen 15 when they were young, higher levels of nitrogen 15 when they got older. But I analyzed, uh, I want to say it was like 20 sharks or so, uh, and looked at their different vertebral bands. And I actually found that there were some sharks that did have that classic pattern to eat seals and sea lions when they got older. And then there were some that looked like they were just eating fish or squid their whole lives. Mm. Um, and so even though, and then in addition to that, I could also pick out whether sharks were generalist or specialist. So if, do they look like that they are feeding on one type of prey consistently throughout their lifetime, which they'd be a specialist. So there are different ways to be a specialist apparently as a white shark. You can do it with seals and sea lions, or you can go rogue and do fish and squid instead. But you might also be a generalist where you're just like a hoover and just going after mm. anything to make then your energetic needs. I and thought so, for sure. I thought you were going to say when you were talking about the nitrogen things that what you discovered is that baby sharks have high nitrogen 14 or whatever it is you said. And that your conclusion was that parent sharks take care of their babies and that you'd pr- I was really watching that coming. I was like, don't tell me. They, don't tell me they love their children and they feed them like giant uh, seals. They do love their children. No, they don't. Sharks don't love their children. At least say that. Uh, shark, there's no maternal like taking care. God damn it. This is not why we had you on. Oh, come on. I, like, I'm a mom to two kids and that sounds great. If you, mean, if you were in a bar, I don't mean to be reduct- reductivist. What's it called? Uh, if you were in a bar and a dolphin walked in, I know you'd be shocked, <laughs> but, and then a shark walked in uh, and then the slightly. two of them, the two of them ended up getting in a fight and teeth came out. Who would you, whose side would you be on? Would you be like, I hope the shark you, you, when you were breaking them up because you want peace, cause you're a, you're a good fuzzy primate that loves children and, and life to continue. Oh, she shook her head. <laughs> You, you, but you would be you would be peeling the shark off of the dolphin, right? Because you you know that he would have started it, and that he'd oh, be a boy. he. Oh boy! No way! Uh, oh, in your face! All right. Well, Everyone knows that dolphins are assholes. Well, they hate sharks. I know that. It's one of the things I. Who love would about win them. in a fight, a dolphin or a shark? I guess it depends on the kind of shark, right? Yeah, it kind of depends on the kind of shark. I've heard that dolphins kind of gang up on sharks when they like bottlenose dolphins. I th- they uh, like they'll if they see a shark they'll. They'll they'll yeah. they'll mercilessly like gang up on it, if it, it because yeah. they have an instinctive hatred of them. Yeah, but like you know, all animals, it is it's a rough world out there for all animals. Like you look at sea otters and you think that they're so cute and fuzzy. <laughs> they are. And like I mean, I think that when oh. I lived in Santa Cruz, there oh, was no. a sea otter going around raping little sea otters. No. Oh no! Sorry, little baby ones. Damn you, yeah. science! And you know what, and Herman? They were mammals, right in front but of they the Monterey eat, Bay Aquaria. They eat, they so eat, they eat clams they off of their eat. belly. Wait, so all these kids who were there on a field trip were watching these like sea otters rape yeah. baby sea otters? Oh, 
just this one sea otter. Just this one. Oh, it's just one rogue sea otter. Well, that sea otter. Well, yeah. Know, like it's, uh, you know, we can like anthropomorphize all of these animals, and we want yeah, yeah. them to be and fuzzy. But in reality, like life is rough. Well, life let me ask tough. you something about that. So you're a, you're a smart person. You're a scientist. You know more than. Uh, the average person uh, uh, around you exactly how merciless life can be and you see in a bigger mm-hmm. picture. I I, I write this uh, little cartoon, it's a sci-fi thing called Rick and Morty that like often affirms this idea without being qualified to affirm it that life is how do you are you are you a cynic or are you how do you how do you reconcile being uh, smart with uh, being for instance, a mother or or uh, or, or just a, a person who gets out of bed every day and is looking forward to stuff. Are you a cynical person? I, I am fairly sarcastic, and it totally spills over to my parenting. Um, and, yeah, like I tell my daughter pretty regularly, like, life is tough, buttercup. Like, Do you think your kids – do you ever think about your kids like – ending up being writers and not scientists and like writing a book or a TV show about you and being like, my mom was a cold hearted shark loving <laughs> such and such. Yeah. But I also get like pretty good street cred from my kid. Like we were just in Tahoe uh, this past week and my daughter who is almost four and uh, my friend's son who's just turned four, they were like basically facing off over whose mom was cool, the cooler scientist. And, uh, <laughs> My daughter was like, oh, yeah, my mom studies sharks. And the kid was like, well, my mom studies Megalodon. And my daughter looked at her and was like, no, that's a shark. That's what my mom studies. Damn. (laughs) I love it. And then he was like, well, my mom studies dinosaurs, which isn't actually what she studies. And then my daughter was like, my mom can study dinosaurs, too, if she wants. So, you know, it's, like, good to, like, in my opinion, to sort of, a little bit of tough love will get them far, even in in those like little face-off battles. You're, you're at happy in that moment. Your 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 daughter was like a little shark. She ate the other kid's self-esteem. I know. I was proud of her in that instance. Her nitrogen fourteen will be a little higher when we study her <laughs> in the museum. Be like, she I does this like was... eat meat. <laughs> yeah. um, so you actually look at like human, like either fingernails or hair, even. And I do this with my classes pretty regularly i'll analyze people's carbon and nitrogen and see like who is the top of the food chain and who eats less meat who's so an apex predator true vegetarian wow that's cool do you think that humans i know that we're designed to be be able to eat meat do you think we need to eat meat absolutely not interesting it's yeah, a preference but you you eat meat your family eats meat and yeah. Me too. Me too. I just haven't gotten around to that part of my. <laughs> but do you feel do you feel guilty about it? Do you ever think that's something you might change? I don't know. No, I mean I lived in Santa Cruz for almost eight years, and that didn't like kick the meat habit. So I'm pretty sure that well, I mean, that's she, not. She ju- you know, she just told us that life is tough, and yeah, I know. That's it's, the I, way, would, I would yeah. I would assume that the, a person like this would would be less inclined to yeah. to see a documentary about chicken farming and go like, Ugh, I can't eat a McNugget anymore. You'd be like, that, go go to the Marianas Trench. You want to see some fucking slaughterhouse. Yeah. I do try to eat sustainably, though. Um, and so I 
I try to get a sustainably raised meat and I do try to limit my meat intake as well. I probably eat more than like mm, the vast majority of California. <laughs> Don't you think that a, a dolphin has a brain the size of a football? Okay. And a shark has a brain the size of a BB. Um, uh, and it's amazing that they made it so long and so far. With right. Such yeah. a tiny yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that Jeffrey Dahmer like got away with what he did. I, he had some help from a. From Do you a, hate any any other creature on on God's green earth uh, as much as you hate sharks? I just don't arbitrarily. I, I would say if a shark was at war with gravity, I would back the shark up because gravity is less me than the shark. A living like, creature, please. Well, I'm just I'm saying like I, I apply this thing all the way up like the vacuum of space is entropy is my biggest enemy because I'm I'm born of an impulse on the part of the universe to be instead of not being I, I'll so I'll side but I'll I, if you make me side with uh, Pluto versus a, a black hole I'll be like I got Pluto's back okay but, but I'm Pluto's asking you shark world. versus any other cre- uh, animal what would I what would I back up a shark against yes. that's a carbon based life form yes <sighs> It should not take you this long. What is, what is your, what's your answer? <laughs> well, you back up a shark against I, a senator. I back up a shark against you for sure. That's exactly. This is my, that's, that's that's not a compassionate person talking. I'm sorry <laughs> you had to be witness to this. I, yeah. I know you're. Not I a... would love to go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium with you and then push you into the shark tank. Incredible. She's a truth, <laughs> truth, <laughs> truth and jest. Like she, uh, she. This is like she's murder behind your eyes. That was a good laugh following that too. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I I meant it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there has there been documented cases where humans have befriended sharks? Um They tickle yeah. their bellies on, on yeah. Shark Week. Yeah, I mean, well there are cases for sure where sharks are in captivity and they mm-hmm. recognize, you know, the the hands that feed them and um, <laughs> and, and they're like, well, I can't. What, what, yeah. When that hand runs, <laughs> I kept sharks in captivity for four years, and I do think that they like knew when we were around. Mm-hmm. Uh, they definitely knew that we were going to feed them, mm-hmm. but also like they were leopard sharks, and they have tiny little nubbin teeth, and mm-hmm. so like even if they tried to bite you, it was just barely sharper than sandpaper. Right. And so did you, did you that's go a good the- example of a shark species where their teeth are not necessarily made for tearing flesh that they are just to provide sort of some friction and grip and get their food like further into their mouth and into their mm. stomach. So they're just swallowing the food whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, what, did you ever go in the tanks with the sharks? Yeah, we had to, to clean them out. So we would drop the water level to, I don't know, like between eight inches to a foot. Then we would actually be in there like scrubbing the tanks out. Um, they just like swim around um, by your feet. They weren't huge tanks. Uh, I think they were like eight feet in diameter or so. But uh, yeah, I that is as, as close to like swimming with sharks that I've really got. Well, I have swam with whale sharks. You lowering but... the water level to uh, to facilitate the cleaning or to assert dominance over their world? You're like, it's me, she who controls your life. <laughs> I, bite my ankle yeah. at your peril. Yeah. I, will, I will not restore the waters yeah. if I cannot get out of this tank. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, I made it easier to clean the walls. Um, what about octopuses? Do you do you have, you have you heard that that story about the octopus that would pick its lock at night to go into the neighboring tank to kill sharks? Is that true? Is that an urban legend? 
Um, I don't know that it picked its lock. I, I mean, I saw a video of it leaving its tank. I don't know that it had to pick a lock to do it. I think that it was just smart and knew how to get out of its tank, and then it knew when to go back. Right. Into, uh, and it was killing sharks, it. right? It was going over to kill sharks. That's what I heard also. I think I think you, that right. was wishful thinking. <laughs> well, I don't what? know. What? Really? What? What'd you say? I think that that is true, that the octopus like, killed some kind of shark, and it did it like two or three times, and the aquarium was like, ugh, these are kind of expensive. We can't let another one of these go. And so that's why they set up the camera. Yeah. I think it was at the Seattle Aquarium, I want to say. Octopus are cool. It's almost like, they, like everything. Dolphins are pretty yeah. cool, too, though, you must oh, boy. admit. Like, you don't hate <laughs> dolphins. It's almost like everything under the ocean is like, God, fuck sharks. Like, like oh, except no. us. Like, we're oh, standing no. on the beach, like, like mammal splaining, like, how sharks are misunderstood. But it's like... Sharks eat other sharks, too, though. I mean, even within the realm of sharks, there's over 400 species of sharks. And some sharks eat other sharks. I mean, it starts in the sharks' wombs. Like, some sharks, they have yolk sacs inside of the mother. And, um, and then... They develop, but some sharks are still hungry, and mm. so they actually eat their siblings wow. in, in the womb. I love how any of this in is offered womb. up as a potential mitigation. Like, like when all I've heard about sharks, well, you know, their stomachs generate no feces. Like, yeah, you, you know, they grow a thousand million teeth a minute. You know that sometimes when they're a baby, they'll just eat their way out of the mother. I, yeah, I, the, those this, are all incredible things. This is confirming things to do. all of the things I hate about sharks. What's wrong with them having an uh, efficient digestive system? Can we be? Let's be objective about this and just say when we. It's th- this argument come, doesn't come down to any kind of logic. It comes. <laughs> it, it comes down to a recreational point of, of, of perspective where, like, like it, obviously there's no reason to hate any living thing. You mm-hmm. may as well get mad at a bean plant. You're like you piece of shit. But if you're gonna hate something, and I think you should. It should be dolphins. There's something other than me. It should be dolphins. It should be. Sharks, not uh, the thing with the. Why do people have this misconception of sharks, of like Jaws, great white sharks kind of thing? You've and confirmed every. True. What is that true? But people are so willing to save the dolphins and mm-hmm. save the whale. Mm-hmm. What about the sharks? Dolphins yeah. are like dogs that lost their legs and went back into the water. They're mammals. How is this lost on you guys? I don't understand how you can't have mammal-centric... I mean, at this point, uh, Professor Kim and I are just speaking to a madman. I guess. I mean, you've got me. You've tricked me. You gaslit me. That's what you did. (laughs) You tricked me into making me feel crazy because you know all this science. Like, you went to school and studied what we're talking about. Like, that's supposed to make you right. And you just... (laughs) You're already a uh, self-admitted Dan murderer in your fantasies. And uh, the Dacostec... This truly is my, my dream come true is to have another Asian woman who loves sharks in here and together we defeat you. And make me hysterical. Yes, and make you hysterical. This is like my ultimate dream. But I dream. start off loving sharks. I mean, I got into studying sharks because like a lot of people in my lab worked with various mammals and their work seemed really cool and sexy. And then I was like, well, has anybody done this with sharks? Like, has anybody applied this method to sharks? Like, what can we learn about shark ecology and mm-hmm. the evolution of sharks? And so I went down this path and, like, 
I don't know. At every step, I was kind of like, huh, like sharks are kind of cool. Oh, okay. Whoa, well, see, I can get behind that because you're an underdog and you're saying, what about these things that people don't? Because if everybody was like, well, fuck sharks because they look, they have beady eyes and they, they eat. They everybody? Eat. You mean and you? Then, well, yeah, I know. Well, that's me. She's flipping me now with the story. <laughs> that's, yes. That's why primates are great because we have storytelling. Like you're telling me a story of oh, how. Oh, and I lost it. You used to, you know, too bad sharks can't uh, tell stories to save their lives. They're too distracted by uh, any passing thing that, that smells like blood. Oh, so they, they can like go for so long without eating. I mean, some sharks probably only eat like once a week or maybe even longer, once a month. That's kind of cool. I mean, I'm jealous. <laughs> you're doing it. You're doing it. You're turning him. It's, it's thin inspiration. I mean, it's nothing they, else. It's, <laughs> I'm telling you, I did not start off a shark lover, and I'm not a person that started off obsessed with sharks, and I didn't go to grad school to study sharks necessarily. I was a total geek and wanted to do this whole stabilize the tope analysis thing. And then I kind of like fell in love with them because they're pretty cool and crazy. And we know so little about them because people want to like be marine biologists and they want to like swim with the dolphins. And um, people do kind of want to swim with the sharks too. But like there's still so much we don't know about sharks that we do know about other types of animals because they don't have to come to the surface to breathe. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily have to come close to shore. They're really hard to track. And so they look we, like missiles with uh, sociopathic dark beads implanted in the in a in a in a in a in a a mercury coated slithery um, uh, uh, a polished devil tube of fucking death seeking. Dolphins are the basic bitches of the ocean. But I like, I like that. I like. Wait, you get, you, you got me as a. It's like any, I'm a. a you, uh, all anyone needs to say is, oh, I didn't always. I didn't make up my mind about this from birth. I felt, I felt one way yesterday, and then I had an experience, and then you know, it doesn't even have to be a reason why. Like that's why I'm not pressing you about it because that's that's something that a a bad person would do is be like, tell me what, why did you start liking them? It's the f honest fact that you did. You're like, Oh, I where I was like, Oh, I want to, I want to, how come no one else is thinking about this? Like, I can't not side with that. What is your favorite shark? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, all right. You can pick up to three. Here's another thing. I, I'm, I'm going to, in my new fandom of sharks, I'm going to say is cool about them. I bet they don't have, Concepts like favorites, <laughs> which I find vexing and oh boy. stupid. Like, I like, think they do. I think some sharks do. I think that maybe the my favorite shark right now might be a sand tiger shark. Uh, it's not anything like to write home about. It's not a big scary shark. Uh, it doesn't look really unique or different, but uh, there are relatives of the modern day sand tiger sharks that lived something like um, 55 to 35 million years ago and they were super abundant and they brought up a photo of one in the yeah, booth here it's a terrifying looking shark they look like um, oh, they're so mellow like they're Tim Allen. Um, <laughs> but they lived all the way from the arctic to the antarctic um, wow they did they covered a huge amount of range 
they lived in a lot of different places. And so a lot of my work these days is looking at these sharks uh, during this time period called the Eocene, which was uh, a greenhouse climate. And sort of if we keep screwing up the earth, what we might be headed towards in terms of um, in terms of the climate situation. Well, you bring up another good reason to get on shark side sooner than later because they're going to be our neighbors. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, we should start understanding what makes them. Yeah, look, I, and... I'm, I've already been on their side. I, I'm set. Yeah, you're not you, you coming with into the future. What do you? What? What do you mean? But you are. You, you confessed to murder fantasies of me. <laughs> On this podcast. It's been recorded. You'd like to go to the aquarium and push me in. Never. You know? That's not That's not murder, per se. It's Yeah, I know. It's, it's not a, guaranteed go, murder. Go be with the sharks. It's yeah. not guaranteed murder. I mean, she said the, the sharks that she had in a tank had little nub teeth. You just get scratched a little. I hope one day you Yeah, and usually the sharks and aquariums are, they're young. They're babies. Yeah, they're just cute little babies that'll have like a little fun play date with you. I would never, <laughs> I would never eat shark's fin soup because that's, I'm glad. It's cruel, right? Like, yes. I mean, there's no need for that because it probably doesn't that even taste good. One of probably the worst things for sharks is um, shark fin soup. Uh, I've been like in fishing camps in Mexico where. They defend the sharks um, for that, and then they. I've also been. Um, and do they just throw school. throw the rest of the shark away? Yeah, and the shark's not dead yet. Ugh. It's Aww. really sad. I mean, it's no yeah. the cove. <laughs> oh boy, my, and, my uh, Asian friends. <laughs> and then the other thing that's detri- really detrimental to shark populations are that um, folks, fishermen. Uh, harvest them for their livers. Their livers have a ton of fat. Um, Sharks maintain neutral buoyancy. So uh, like fish have air bladders or swim bladders that they fill up with air and then that decides like where they are in the water column. But sharks are neutrally buoyant uh, and they just have a ton of fat in their livers. But that fat is thought to be good for um, different skincare products. It's not not even objectively delicious. It's... (laughs) I'm not. I mean, it sounds like I'm making a joke, but I yeah. just like I want to. I want to frame the cruelty yes. here. It's like it's like with rhino horns. Like, there's no reason for this. Yeah. Like, like, like they they just think that the fat is good for your skin or something, and it's not yeah. Even, yeah. It might actually be good for your skin. Okay. But... <laughs> still, still not good enough. You're right. Why am I why am I holding out for a practical reason yeah. to <laughs> to murder sharks for their liver? <laughs> well, I guess what if it was like a what if it kept kids from. Uh, 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 being held back a grade. Uh, well, what's in a shark's liver? I mean, there is, is like things we do. Is that an epidemic of kids being held yeah, I'm back? Saying, like, what is, and the only thing that would help. Um, okay. Uh, Skincare not good enough. Not a good enough reason to kill an animal and then like, throw the rest of its body into the water. Well, I'm not glad my... we can finally agree on something. Yeah, we're not sharks here, right? We're compassionate. Oh boy! Um, and finally, because this is a podcast about race um, and writing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like kind of uh, the the demographics of like your field? Is it is it rare uh, to be an Asian American woman in your field? Uh, absolutely, mm-hmm. I'm trained as a geologist. Uh, geosciences actually has the worst diversity of all of the STEM fields. 
Um, in fact, there was an article published, I think, in Nature just a couple weeks ago that showed that uh, the diversity sort of dial has not moved in geosciences in 40 years. Epochs. Uh, we- <laughs> What? I, just, I want to make the joke that the, it's because they, they, they work on geologic time. So to them, progress is they're, – they're like, yeah. come on. The Cambian era was a lot worse. <laughs> All right. Making light of something that's caused you pain. You're Go right, on. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we have bathrooms now. Huge diversity. And so what do you, what do you attribute uh, the, the continue, uh, continued lack of diversity to? What are, what are the factors that you see are the main uh, contributors? I think that a lot of sort of classic geosciences, geology, relies on this idea of going out and banging on rocks. And um, (laughs) classic geology programs have you do uh, these really sort of large field camp uh, type things where you spend like, I don't know, eight, ten weeks of the summer out in the middle of nowhere mapping rocks walking huge distances, um, covering huge amounts of elevation. And, uh, and so I think that that can really diminish the population that participates in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually love the outdoors. I love hiking. Uh, that was one of the things that attracted me most to be a geology major when I was in college um, and to continue on in geology in uh, grad school. But I think that the reality is, is that for a lot of minorities, that type of environment can be daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, for women, it's been shown that these types of field camps and field work is just ripe for sexual harassment situations. Mm-hmm. So um, women may start off but leave or may be too scared to go into it. Uh, and then I think that the other element is a financial and sort of place of privilege and so to be able to go to field camp, you usually have to pay more um, or extra tuition to be able to do these things. But in the summertime, I think that a lot of underrepresented minorities, and I'm including even sort of like first-generation college students and low socioeconomic groups, um, they work during the summers, and they need to work in the summer to make money to get through the school year. Um, and then to do these types of things, you also need gear. You need the tent, you need the sleeping bag, you need the pack, you need the boots. And all that adds up really fast. And so I think that those are all sort of obstacles for um, recruiting and attracting, uh, I mean, frankly, not recruiting, attracting and retaining non-white males. (laughs) Those people that are not white males. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think that's uh, not really geology anymore. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a we need to start changing the perception and thinking about how we approach geology differently at yeah. this point now. Yeah, you know, I I I I think it's interesting that you brought up uh, attracting, but also maintaining because those are two different things. Um, I think that when we talk about a lot of like uh, you know like STEM fields and things like that uh, uh, about the lack of. Uh, diversity and and women, um, a lot of times people tend to use the argument of like, oh, we need to get more girls and more uh, people of color interested. But there are people who are interested. 
it's not just interest once they even if they're interested and they get into it you you still have to have an environment that facilitates uh being able to keep them there and maintain them and and not have an environment that is uh hostile or uh so uncomfortable for the person that it drives them away even if they have the interest yeah absolutely and i think that i mean it's important to sort of widen the pipeline because mm-hmm. the more sort of minorities, underrepresented folks that you can get interested is good because then, like, there's always going to be attrition. So you want more people to be attracted. But to keep them in these programs, to keep them in STEM fields, not even necessarily like going on to grad school, but just getting jobs related to STEM fields even um, is is important. But it can be hard because when when students go to college, um, I mean, by and large, the professors that they work with are white men. Mm-hmm. And can, I think that there can be a difficulty in communicating mm-hmm. and sensitivity mm-hmm. to their needs. Um, I mean, even if you don't have sexual harassment, even if like your old white male professors are trying as hard as they can to be open to diversity and welcoming. There's reality. Like there's a very different experience that underlies that whole situation. Well, for an old white speaking as an old white guy, I mean, even the process that results in doing the best you can still starts with seeing people as, as the other, (laughs) I, it still involves that. Like you can't mm-hmm. flip a switch in your head where it's like I don't, I don't perceive uh, this, but I do perceive that. Like you can't just reprogram your brain. So, yeah, the most well-intended um, patriarchs are still translating in their head, going like, "Well, here comes this Asian female student. I better do this, this, and that." And yeah. it's, it's, it's already it, that, that's that, that, sure it's the, creating distortion and yeah. God knows what. Yeah. Yeah, but if I think that if, I mean, so professors, we are trained in our research, in our science. Like very few professors have actually taken classes on how to teach or on pedagogy. And very rarely, although they may have now at this point had like two hours of diversity training or something like that, like definitely don't have any background in sort of critical race theory or Mm -hmm. like intersectionality or you know anything or if they haven't tried to scratch the surface of like what it means to teach to a diverse population and what it means to be non-white then they don't have to know there's no need and so um i think that it's i mean i actually get pretty offended when people tell me that they don't see color because i'm like really you're telling me that you look at me and you think that i look just like you like, yeah. this isn't even. Do you even think that we've we talked about this this thing on the show kind of recently? Like, do you think, as a scientist working obviously around a lot of high IQ people, it come from those disciplines that are so rooted? I mean, you're by 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 the end of high school, you've had these concepts of objectivity uh, beaten into you and all this stuff. Do you think that for that reason? Um, Like there's this there's this factor also of like, well, I know I'm not racist because I'm so smart. 
I, I and I know that my field isn't racist because it's all about counting bones um, or digging uh, buckets of, of mud and or or these things. And so so it's almost like there's a factor there where it's it's magnified where, where, where the things that we associate with the hoi polloi like, oh, well, I'm not wearing a wife beater T-shirt and I'm not Marlon Brando in streetcar. So. I, how, how dare this uppity uh, co-ed like 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 put this comment in my comment box that suggests for a second that I'm unfair? For God's sakes, I'm an anthropologist. I, do you do, I, I, do you think that that's a factor? Or? Oh yeah, totally for sure. I think that um, I mean because I think that we find that in that screenwriting. Where, yeah, like we think we're better than other people. We think we're hipper. And we think we're liberal. So we can we can yeah. very actively be way more racist because we're like. <laughs> Like, fuck you for how dare you? I'm the least racist person I mean, in the world. Academia, the ivory tower of academia, I have found like is very defensive and um and thinks of itself and likes the idea of diversity, but sort of confronted with actuality or the possibilities that maybe they may be complicit in a situation that is not fair and not objective, it can go south pretty fast and pretty hard. And is um, is some is one of the scariest things that I have experienced. And I am I'm not someone that is sort of likes to be victim. Like think of myself as a victim. I um, I think that I'm very competent that I don't think that I like got my job because I'm a woman or because I'm Asian. Uh, I think that I worked really hard for what I have. Uh, but I have found that when, I mean, there've been multiple occasions, honestly, when I've had white male colleagues tell me that white men are at, um, a huge disadvantage in the academic market. And that as an Asian woman, that I'm guaranteed a job and that I have the biggest advantage that can possibly be given. That the only other advantage, the bigger advantage that I could have was if I was a black woman. Mm -hmm. and, oh or in a wheelchair. Yeah. And black. I'm not really sure this. why you would say that to me, to my face. Like, yeah. there's so many other people for you to go say that to, like, <laughs> to and get sympathy. Yeah. But this is not one of them. Yeah. Oh. I'm sure. I mean, you you already know how furious I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I, you know, I've I've taken part in that thought process a little bit. You know, that idea that well, it's like it's like it, it, yeah, white 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 men are hearing for the first time the phrase white men. Like mm -hmm. like we're it's just outside of like a Richard Pryor joke. Like and then so then it's like the t the tectonic shifting feels to us like. 500 times more feet per second. It was like we think that because we've been talking about this for a week, we've been – Jesus Christ, we've been talking about this forever. And we think that because we read one article about it, that it's all I ever hear about. And and, and, and then we, we do have conversations over pound cake where we say things. I have said things like – are you kidding me? I wish I was gay. I'd have an Emmy by now. I've said these things like 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 this idea that um, uh, in, in, in in that that our pursuit of progress and uh, the egalitarian fantasy that that because the movement exists in that direction and because guys like me are experiencing movement in that direction for the first time, 
we we get all fucking hysterical about it and go like what yeah I, I i i so i can only imagine like in the academic community where it's like it's 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 gotta well, be yeah it's a well i feel like academia is a real magnet for blowhards anyway you know and uh, well, yeah you gotta come up with a theory and then you gotta fucking defend it and yeah, yeah. so uh professor kim do you uh, what what do you think would be most helpful in kind of changing a lot of uh, uh, changing the the lack of what would be helpful in changing the lack of diversity in academia? Or have there been things where you've seen that you were like, that was helpful, that helped me or I've seen that help somebody? Um, I think mentoring is the biggest thing that can help. I mean, I think that. um I think it is important to do targeted diversity hires, both still for women and especially for minorities. I think that having a professor that you can relate to mm-hmm. just um, by your background and sort of where you're coming from um, and that you feel that you are in a safe space and that you actually have like some sense of community um, is important. I mean, I think that that sense of community and safety can also be created with um, with white faculty as well, as long as they have that understanding and have done some of that research and are aware of the, the dynamics at play. Um, and so I think that mentoring, because I think that uh, students, both at the undergrad and if they make it to graduate school level, um, that that's what they really need because they don't have the privileges that a lot of um, more traditional sort of white kids come in with. Uh, Like for me, going to college, I didn't even really know that there was a thing like the SAT two. And my parents and I came to them and I was like, I have to take the SAT twos to get into like, or to apply to all these Ivy League schools that you want me to go to. They're like, you already took the SAT one. What? Like, what gives? Like, yeah. why do I have to pay more money? And you're like, and why do you think they called it the SAT-1? <laughs> what a dumb name that would be. <laughs> and they were just like, wait. And in Korea, you know, like, you just take these exams as part of school. And, like, because everybody takes them, you don't yeah. pay the money for them. Right. Um, and so, and then things like getting even um, recommendations from, like, guidance school counselors. Like, mm-hmm. when I was in high school... I was ranked like one of the top three students in my high school, but I went to a predominantly white upper middle class school. And when I asked like what schools I go, I should go to the guidance counselor was like, Oh, you'll be like lucky if you can get into Emory. And I was kind of like, Oh, there's no way I'm sticking around Georgia. I am out of here. And I mean, why, I, why did they say that? Um, I think that it was, they just felt like you had no chance. Yeah. And that it was like a it was a place that really favored white people. Mm -hmm. And my parents didn't they weren't participating in the PTA. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't a cheerleader. I was like mega nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so and they had not really had that many people go to Ivy League schools or anything. Um, And so. It turns out that in my graduating high school class, three of us went to Dartmouth, and 
Um, Dartmouth is also super white, but it was the right place for me, and I loved it um, as an undergraduate. Uh, but do you, you know, think, like, like do do you have a little bit of a? You must have a, a streak of elitism in you, in that, like, if 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 in a theoretical world we could actually. <sighs> for lack of a better word, socialize education, meaning that it no longer is rooted in this thing you're talking about where it's like, oh, yeah, if you want to go to college, you have to have a certain background. And for many, many, many reasons, if we could create like a a society like you would you would want it to be such a perfect society that it was human beings that had the aptitude that had the IQ that had the um the the scientific horsepower that that no matter where they were born no matter where their parents were from no matter um what their income level was they were sucked up by the country and said like you should be working uh you know you should be, we we should be putting money and support into you learning as much as you can until we find out you know the limits of your brain right you're you would you would as, as far as that's concerned you're you you'd be like yeah there's some people are better than other people it's just not based on it. i mean i do think that people from all types of backgrounds should be afforded those experiences and opportunities but i actually don't think that it has anything to do with iq or gpa or um aptitude because i think that our metrics for that are totally sure, wrong yeah, i would agree with you there because some of those tests say i'm a real idiot and I, they've got to be wrong <laughs> but 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 i mean i i guess i feel like i'm i feel like i'm what abouting you or something but I, I'm, I'm kind of like we talk to scientists so rarely i'm just like yeah but don't scientists like no matter how woke they are, like they believe in their heart of hearts or their brainstem of brainstems that well, some brains are better made for science, right? Like you don't know. Like, no, I think that having that diversity is super key, and I think that that's the, like the number one argument for why we want. But you know, diversity. you know, I don't mean white brains when I say some brains. You know what I mean is some brains that run the. the you mean the, like smart uh, nerd, smart brain. people, yeah, like 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 can we? To, yeah, like, but like it's not about smartness always. You know, it's like about wow. creativity and your approach to a problem. And if you have a different background. You might approach a problem slightly different. That, that's why the te- the testing is yeah. I like don't mistake me for for somebody that's going yeah. Like I I I I don't believe that it's. I think the idea that it's possible for us to test and have a system that detects the right people for for jobs is totally from the very get go is so steeped in flaws that like we're we're defeated before we start. But. I don't know. I just, I, I guess I was kind of trying to like, I wanted to hear a smart person go like, yeah, but the bottom line is like, if there's smart people yeah, and I, then there's dumb people. <laughs> no, I, I will be the first to admit that like, I am, I don't consider myself to be like incredibly smart or anything. I think that um, actually you get a PhD, you just have to be able to endure and like just suck it up and do what's got to be done. And put one foot, you know, make it to across the finish line. Wow. Um, well, that's refreshing. So I'm kind of glad actually, that you said that. Yeah, and I and so I think that that's why it pains me so much that I talk to students. I mean, students across like all spectrums of diversity. You know, white, black. Latino, Asian, they're like, I'm not good at math. I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. Like, um, and that's like 
not really what it's about. You know, I work on pretty high tech instruments um, and do a bunch of chemistry, but the reality is like, I actually never took OCHEM <laughs> and mm-hmm. my instruments are kind of just, it's basically plumbing in really, really small diameter tubing. Um, but it's all about like airflow and air pressure and yeah. And you, like so maybe a way to boil this down to like a philosophical question or a societal question is like in your in your mind, we could go grab a kid, let's, let's say just a, let's just say a, from a maternity ward or the equivalent anywhere in the world, anywhere on the planet by lottery, any baby that was just born and if they were given the right um, incentive and tools, they, they, there's nothing, there's no, there's nothing that figures into it about like uh, the the way you're, like, there's nothing, like some people are gonna be good at math just naturally, some people are gonna be good at like, um, uh, uh, uh. uh <laughs> completing sentences um uh like, like that, that we just that we just all have these like like weird little chaotic maps in our brains and that there's some people that are like i don't work hard at all and yet i'm like super good at astrophysics like that may be true yeah, might be really good at thinking and just be really creative at like where we should look for a new like planetary system or something. Right. Um, but you think I mean, that I think kid that laziness that... is not okay. Like it's hard to get through a PhD program and pursue science if you're lazy. Yeah, yeah. And so as a, long as you're willing to work hard and you have curiosity, I think that those are the two integral components. I like this way of thinking because it's a it's a much it's much less cynical. Yeah. Like, like I like the idea that, like Stephen Hawking was you know there, there's, there's characters who legends are formed around them primarily because of there's there's all kinds of politics involved in all these things but also sure there are people who you catch them at different times of their life and something is easy for them than it is for other people but it's probably it could very well just be because of opportunities they've had and things they've been exposed to or work that they have bothered to do crunches in a gym that they decided we're going to benefit them, for instance, like you. And, and, and I like I, I I like the idea that you could go grab a kid and 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 and, just, and if they're curious and they want to, to well, do what this. If, what if right? they're not curious? I mean, that's well, kind then, of like, well, then, splitting hairs there. Like, <laughs> like like what if the kid isn't curious? Like like and, and was was maybe on a course to become a pianist. But could you make them um a physicist. I mean, why would you want to? Well, wait a minute. Is that, that's what we're. I mean, I wouldn't want to necessarily, but this society is sort of like we're, without saying it out loud, we kind of run on a, a an unspoken concept that she's saying she doesn't believe in, in spite of being the smartest one in the room. That's worked the hardest, passed the most tests, and suck it out. She's like, yeah, I don't really believe it. Like I came into this room thinking. Something that's kind of down, it, it makes me sad, which is the idea that your brain is sort of like a Yahtzee role, you know, and it's like kind of has these synapses and these combinations of things and definitely has nothing to do with background or gender. But 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 within the human species, you just kind of like get these magic, the gathering cards like you get a hand, you know, and how you play them is your choice but then again some people get like cards that are like really good at 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 
better at speaking uh, mm-hmm. expositorily than me um sure. some people become bicyclists because they i don't know they even yeah i, I don't want to believe that it flies in the face of the american dream for instance but it seems like we we act a lot of us do believe it without saying that we believe it because we know it's wrong to believe it but we believe it and i like that you don't believe it because you're a scientist. So it's important <laughs> for scientists to say, I don't believe that. I'm a scientist. I'm an egghead. I wasn't born special. I like worked hard. It was like boot camp. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but I, I think I didn't I, want to be a scientist for a long time though. So like I it's only like I went to college, did some research, but I did I mean, all through college I thought that I was going to be an environmental lawyer. Um and then I I worked as like a volunteer ranger for a summer as well. I lobbied for a nonprofit in Congress. Um, I did all sorts of like random things. I waited tables a lot. Oh jeez, you sound like a real. You sound like a wacko. We shouldn't be taking you seriously at all. <laughs> You're all over the place. Yeah, uh-huh. but I have like I guess all these other experiences, and my intention in going to college wasn't to become a scientist. So maybe that's why I have this different perspective and um, it's a, it's, a, it's an important one i mean yeah. I, th- I think i think because it's it's, it's the it, it, you because you're i mean i look i feel that way sometimes and stuff that i do i know you, you, nobody sees me as an underdog but then in certain contexts i go like well i didn't go to harvard or yale so that's why i love television so much because i see it the right way because i didn't picture myself writing it i thought that i would always be watching it and all this stuff like it's important to have people uh that uh are, aren't only just thinking the things that they have the luxury of not thinking about saying the shit so that then the people that haven't been thinking about it go oh i haven't been thinking about this because yeah. honestly this is the first time i've ever questioned that like very fundamental seam of of academia which is like kind of like Oh, well, some kids are born scientists, you know, and we're like waiting. We're watching them in kindergarten to see which ones. Yeah, but and, but it's also why it's so important to have diversity in every field because the younger generation can look and say, that person ha- I can relate to looks like me. It came from a similar background and a similar family to me. Yeah. And if that person can do it, then maybe I can do it. Versus if you only saw the same kind of person who isn't like you at all doing something you you might think like oh well that's for them and not me and then the flip of that which is that the, if the kindergarten teacher is white and they're looking at their class and they're going i'm i'm my job is to look for scientists mm-hmm. like they didn't they don't even have to say that out loud in their head but there's some like unspoken thing that they go like well oh and then cut to 30 years later wait where are all the black scientists like how come there's less than there should be given the size of this class it's like it could it, it starts on both sides mm-hmm. long ago this syndrome of perception and, and starts with this like inherent assertion we might be walking around with where we believe in our heart of hearts that some people are better than other people. And all of us are having arguments about which people are better <laughs> and, and where to draw the lines. But maybe, yeah, like the biggest, the, the greatest Whiting Wong's uh, conclusion of all is to be like, you know, we've all been we've all been walking around thinking we're we got to figure out what makes you a better person who which people are better and 
All right. I'm, 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 I babbled myself. All right. Shallow uh, fi- let's do final thoughts. Is there, what, is there a final thought about sharks you want to tell? Say. <laughs> <laughs> and it better be that they're good. <laughs> I don't have to tell her that. I know it's going to be I mean, be they're good. already called great white sharks. Do you want to take the opportunity to call them excellent white sharks? Superior we white sharks. We can promote them. I mean, sharks are so cool. They have so many, <laughs> like, so unique life history traits and that they've been around for so long and i mean whatever well the way the sharks make a living they figured it out just like just yeah they're better they're better at living than anybody else yeah because they've been around for longer than anybody else like a slumlord oh boy hey i'm your landlord because i was here before you all right professor kim thank you so much (laughs) for joining us and sharing with us Yes. No. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for real. It was. Uh, I mean, it was. That's. It's amazing. Yeah. That, this was such got a to tr- have this conversation. Yes. Totally. I mean, this has been a, a season long argument, and I feel like it's been settled. It hasn't been settled. <laughs> but but well, but we met an I amazing. I have to answer any more shark questions <laughs> that you have. Um, um, do you have anything you want to plug? Um. <laughs> science. Yeah. Just Please. science in general. Care about the planet. <laughs> well, I I mean, I do want to put in a plug for trying to increase diversity in especially the geosciences. It's um, a field that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I mean, sometimes people think of me as more of an ecologist, but I think that uh, the geosciences, I mean, it's really going in a different direction now where there's a lot of like chemistry involved, there's physics involved, there's a lot of modeling. Um, and I think that it's one of those fields that could really benefit from having more diversity. And I think that it's going to take people sort of realizing that we're not at necessarily geology anymore, but like we're in geoscience, like 2.0 or 3.0 now, uh, and having more exposure for uh, students at a younger age to, um, is, to maybe think about it. Is there a is there an organization uh, or a resource that uh, you would recommend pointing people towards if they're interested in some of these fields? I'd say that um, if they are, if there are any folks that are teachers or sort of involved in education, there are a lot of lesson plans uh, through CERC uh, is the name of the organization S E R C. Uh, it's through Carleton University. They have great uh, lesson plans for like younger students through high school and even at, at the college level as well. Um, uh, and then I guess that just promoting kids to sort of explore the outdoors uh, and try different new experiences. Like I think that a huge turning point for me was when I was um, a volunteer ranger through the Student Conservation Association in Yosemite, like, I didn't even know what Yosemite National Park was. I was like, Yosemite? Like, what's that? Um, I'd never really done, I'd done some backpacking, but nothing so intense and extreme. But uh, spending that much time in the outdoors is kind of a backcountry ranger. And I also did some interpretive ranger working with um, the public was uh, a really, you know, eye-opening experience. And that I didn't really want to work with people like the general public. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I really love spending a lot of time outdoors. Uh, and with sharks. So I think that exploring those things, exploring sort of your limits and what you do and don't like is important. It's very interesting. Uh, I mean, the amount that like, like I, I feel like everyone has a memory of like when they've decided what they wanted to be, whether they ended up that thing or not. Yeah. But you're getting exposed to that concept when you're in kindergarten. And I wonder if the teachers out there, I'm sure they consider what they do important, but I, just like that idea of, because I say this about writing a lot, which is like, I wonder how many kids like proportionately are, are being told that this is possibly an option. You know, if you're looking for ideas, you're still at that age where you're looking to grownups for like definitions and the grownups keep saying back to you, you can be whatever you want. You could be a football player, an astronaut, a doctor, a lawyer, a, a, a retail worker. Like, like we have these like tarot cards or action figures that we present to them and it, the the most important form of diversity could be like diversity of exposure to kids like just conversationally whether you have a degree in it or not saying to them very early on you know there's almost nothing that you can't do for a living mm-hmm. there's like there is a job out there that i mean you could literally possibly eat boogers for a living kevin <laughs> Oh, don't um, say that. Don't say that. My four-year-old will run with it. Well, no, I'm saying, Kevin, we all know the guy that was eating his boogers. Like, I'm not saying it was me, but, like, you could you, – th- th- that kid might need to know. Like, there's there's boogerology. <laughs> or you can invent it. Mm-hmm. It's called being an entrepreneur. Anyways, oh, whatever. Oh, boy. All right. Thank you so much for joining yes, us. Yes, thank you. Yes. I'm glad – definitely I'll tell you one thing that you've totally turned me 90, if not 180 degrees on, which is that – Loving sharks does not make you a bad person. You can understand from having met Jessica for an hour <laughs> why I would have made that. What, what do they call it in science? It's uh, it was flawed flawed logic. I don't know whatever you call it. I I inductively reasoned. I thought, but you love sharks. You're clearly a a a, a good person, an admirable person. A, a not Jessica. Yeah. So now I will never judge anyone for loving sharks. And I may need a couple more episodes before I get yeah. to loving them. And that is the scientific method. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Yep. Sure thing. Bye. It's a good show. <laughs>